You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. I'm Colin Smothers, Executive Director of CBMW, and on today's podcast, I have the privilege of welcoming Matt D'Amico, graduate of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, serves on our editorial team at CBMW, and for our academic journal, Icon. Matt also serves as the worship pastor at Kenwood Baptist Church, where I'm a member, Denny's a member, and recently, Matt, you recorded and released a new worship album with Kenwood Music called Songs for the Sojourn which we sampled as part of our bumper music and is the topic of today's episode. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I've known you, Matt, for over a decade now. We've been members of the same church for about that long, and you've served in your current role as Kenwood's worship pastor for nearly that entire time, and you've recently released this album. What's the backstory behind this album, Songs for the Sojourn? Yeah, so we... Uh, at Kenwood, Kenwood Music, we've recorded a few different albums now, and one thing I'm very grateful for is how much our church has um, encouraged and appreciated these projects. And the the motivation for doing it is, you know, in part because the the corpus of Christian music is not closed. Uh, we are encouraged to sing new songs to the Lord, and. You know, as you said, I've been picking the music for our worship services for over a decade now, and there is there is so much music out there. But I've been, as I've been choosing these songs, uh, there are there have been multiple times where I've wanted certain kinds of songs for portions of our liturgy, and because our church has been gracious, they've let me try to write some of those songs and then record them, and. Um, our church has been a blessing that they've received these gratefully, and uh, they sing them. Hmm. I tend to gravitate toward the old stuff, the old music, the old hymns. I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about uh, this album, Songs for the Sojourn, is it has this sort of older feel, but I can't quite put my finger on what it is that makes it in that vein rather than maybe what's more contemporary that we might associate with contemporary worship music. Can you help me understand that? What, what is it about these songs that uh, sort of harken back to a, an older, richer time? Hmm. That's a good question. I'm glad that's the case. Glad that's your, your read on it. Well, you, know, you we, like me, I think, is we're, we're old souls together. We, we are. I've been an old soul for a long time. And so, yeah, as I'm writing these songs, I am, um, I am trying to think about uh, in categories of of hymnody, of, are these the kind of songs that uh, churches would have sung centuries ago, and could they ever be sung centuries from now? <clears throat> or is it so uh, captured by the time that we're in that it's going to be outdated fairly quickly? We did try to capture the sound of a congregation singing in the background, and, and I think that does aid the the congregational feel. And that's a feature of, of old songs. And, and I hope that as people hear the songs, hear the lyrics, that they are hearing old truths, hmm. um, ancient truths. And so that's, that's the hope. 
And so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that's your read on it. And I hope more people hear it that way. <laughs> you know, one of the things we talk about a lot at CBMW is we talk about manhood, we talk about womanhood. And one of the things that uh, you might not think intersects this conversation, but there's a crisis of masculinity. And that crisis of masculinity uh, has bled into the church, even the evangelical church. Uh, and you've told me before uh, in previous conversations, but one of the things you're you're trying to do here with this album is in some ways address that uh, in terms of how we worship, how we sing uh, as a church, both as men and women. What are your thoughts there uh, on how this album sort of fills that need? Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, there is certainly a crisis of manhood going on around us. I think you, if you just Google that phrase, you'll find articles from publications of all stripes. So there's a growing concern and growing consensus that that's the case. And what I don't want is for, you know, if, if men are feeling aimless and unwelcomed in our society in general, and, and the only time you hear the noun uh, masculinity is with the adjective toxic hmm. before it, I don't want churches to subtly convey a similar message and you know, my, my focus is more narrow. It's in the music. But I don't want churches to be singing music that um, could be described as overly feminine, where men don't feel at home um, singing it. So back before we recorded any of these songs, we had more songs to choose from than we actually recorded. And so I sent some demos out to a bunch of people and gave them some questions that they could ask of the songs. And one of the questions was, can you imagine the men in your church singing this song? Mm. And, you know, that, that concern um, has been growing for a while. One, one way that it really came home for me was a few years ago, my family and I, uh, we were visiting a church it's not in Louisville, so I'll keep it anonymous. <laughs> but we were visiting this church that could be described as very large and very contemporary. And so going into it, you know, we knew this wasn't probably our kind of church, but we wanted to be mature and easily edified. And so we were there ready to engage. And so the music starts, and I'm, I'm trying to sing along, and I don't know any of the songs. Hmm. Uh, so even though I'm fairly musically inclined, my endurance to try to learn these songs on the spot is, is uh, fading. And so I'm, I just start observing what's going on around me. And I'm noticing that a lot of the men around me are either mumbling or they're just not singing at all. Hmm. And you could contrast that with the, the women around, many of whom were fully engaged. And that just struck me as tragic that there are all these people in this church and they are interpreting what's happening musically as either mostly for the women or maybe just for the people up on the platform. Mm -hmm. And I want to write songs that, and I want our church to be singing songs um, that encourage participation for the whole church, including the men. I'm so thankful being a member at Kenwood that that is the case, that we sing songs that, that men can sing, specifically that fathers can sing. And, you know, what does that do to a child 
uh, who's worshiping alongside their, their father and their mother, to see their mother passionately worshiping and their father totally disengaged or maybe not uh, as engaged as, as the mother. And a uh, little boy, little girl has respect for both father and mother and maybe making some decisions or making some, um, some observations and setting patterns on what that's going to look like for when they grow up. Um, so in some ways, it's kind of a call to dads, mm-hmm. no matter where you're at, you need to sing uh, with, with all of your heart uh, to your creator, to your savior, but then to churches to pick songs that will help dads, help men to sing um, and to sing with, with their hearts, with, with passion to their savior. What can churches do, Matt, to, to help that situation along? Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. It is such an opportunity for, for churches and for dads uh, to lead this way. I don't know why exactly that is the case, that in some, um, in some ways, music has, is not viewed as a masculine activity. Hmm. Which I, is ironic because David is the psalmist. He is the most prolific and influential songwriter in all of history. That's right. And, and this is a man who, a military leader unlike any other, mm-hmm. killed lions and bears, <laughs> and he wrote songs. So, and I think that's part of it is churches can, can give a biblical vision for singing and music. And I think of that scene in Second Chronicles twenty, where uh, Jehoshaphat is is leading, and he's got enemies uh, approaching. And this is where he tells the people, um, "The battle does not belong to you, but to the Lord." Mm-hmm. And so they arrange the people and. He says, you're not going to have to fight. You're just going to have to see the salvation of the Lord. And so what do they do? They arrange the army, and in front of the army, they put the singers. Hmm. And as soon as they start singing, the Lord routes the enemy. So we need to, to understand that um, there are times when worship is warfare, and the Lord is using it to thwart the plans of the enemy. We need to remind people that it's a, it is a manly thing to do. David did it. Uh, the Lord Jesus did it with his disciples. Paul did it in prison. So this is a manly activity, and it's a commandment. Hmm. And I think we just need to be reminded, men and women alike, that we're commanded to sing something like 50 times in the Bible. Um, so that, that's one thing, is just give a biblical vision. Another is, I think pastors need to sing. And that's one thing I'm grateful for at our church, is that uh, Jim Hamilton, our senior pastor, he and his family sit in the front front row every week, and they sing, and they mean it. And he's not using that time to, to go over his notes for the sermon. He's fully engaged, and that's an example worth setting. And I think there are other things churches can do. They can... Just make sure they're they're encouraging participation generally. Things like keeping the lights up. Amen. And so we can see one another and keeping the volume down so that we can hear one another. You know, singing is it's there's a vertical element where we're doing it to the Lord. But then, you know, Paul says we're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another as well. So if the lights are down and we can't see each other, and if the volume's up so we can't hear each other, that's just making that harder. And then I think churches should challenge men to sing. Tell them to lead. Remind them that singing was not beneath these, these men of the Bible. And then sing good songs that, 
both women and men will want to and what they'll want to sing and that they can sing. So I think that's exactly what this album does and, and joins the great chorus of hymnody that we have as, as Christians is it, it fills that, that gap where providing, we're providing songs that men not only can sing, but, but want to sing. But I, I think it's important to note that although I love a good men's choir is something special about all men singing mm-hmm. together. In congregational singing, it's not just the men singing, and it shouldn't just be the women singing. It's men and women singing together. I love this uh, this scene from C.S. Lewis's his Ransom trilogy in the second book, Paralandra, and he's trying to describe masculinity and femininity as he observes these two angelic forms, um, and they're not sexed, so they don't don't have sexual characteristics, but he can still see masculinity and femininity. And he goes in and he talks about masculinity being uh, akin to rhythm and femininity being akin to more melody. And with both of those working together, you have music, right? Rhythm and melody. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what we're doing as a congregation. When we come together on a Sunday morning and we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs together, the men are singing with gusto, the women are singing with gusto. And there's a polyphonic harmony that goes on that's raising melody to the Lord, to his praises. And that's what we're trying to encourage, not men step up, but men and women uh, together singing God's praises. Yeah, music is is a communal activity at its best. And the church, um, I mean, what does the psalm say? Let, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And that's something that we should be doing together. Hmm. And there's a reason that our hymnals have songs written in four parts, because if you just had the tenor and the bass part, it just wouldn't be right. Hmm. And if you just had the soprano and alto, it would sound incomplete. And so we're meant to have all the voices singing together, and it resounds to something better than it would be um, were it just a solo, or were it just men, were it just women. It's hmm. a it's a more um, beautiful and complete sound when we are all singing together. So I'm thinking about the people that are listening to this podcast. Maybe they're pastors. Maybe they don't have a worship pastor. Maybe they're just having to pick from the hymnal. Uh, perhaps they're church members that are trying to influence their churches in a more biblical, healthy direction. What What are some uh, words of advice you might give to someone who's picking the songs on Sunday mm-hmm. uh, or maybe trying to influence a church that is picking the songs on Sunday. What are some things that someone might want to avoid some things to look for mm-hmm. in terms of songs besides downloading songs for the sojourn <laughs> and singing that all the way through? <laughs> yeah. Step one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to give a couple of caveats here um, in thinking about songs that churches can sing and that, that men would want to sing. The first is that we're commanded to sing. Hmm. So yes, we want to be thoughtful about singing songs that encourage male participation, but it's not optional. We're commanded to sing. I think that's really important to hear. Uh, We are commanded to sing. Fathers, Mm -hmm. you are commanded to sing. Don't Mm -hmm. let your wife out sing you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let your kids see that you want to sing and obey the scriptures. Absolutely. And then a second caveat is that in thinking about this category of what kind of songs would men want to sing and can they sing, 
I think men need to be careful that they not imbibe a view of masculinity such that certain statements in the Psalms make them uncomfortable. So again, David, this man who checks all the boxes for masculinity, he's able to say, um, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Hmm. So we don't want to, we want to be manly enough to say that. And so I I just want to put that out there that I'm not saying that every song has to be some kind of battle cry. (laughs) We need to be able to sing all the truths of scripture, um, wholeheartedly. But when it gets to where, you know, where the rubber meets the road, some things I think that are worth avoiding, whether we're picking songs, I mean, this goes for any, any song choice, but especially when we're thinking about songs that men might want to sing, I think avoiding songs that are overly vague and unclear. So it just seems to me like there are a lot of songs where uh, there are a lot of chains being broken and (laughs) battles being won and walls being scaled. And it's just not clear what we're talking about. And so you can just fill in the blank from your own experience what, what the chain is, what the wall is. And that's just not real helpful. Or the ones that where you might be singing about Jesus, you might be singing about your boyfriend. You're not entirely sure. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> songs that could be confused with secular love songs. Hmm. Um, and some of that's subjective because music is just a, it's a cultural expression. But within a culture, there are qualities that we can all recognize. And if I start playing a song and it sounds like it's going in the direction of a love song, I might want to avoid that. Hmm. And certainly if if the lyrics are confusing at all in that way, then yes, avoid that. I think songs that play on the emotions. So one way that that happens is in a certain kind of repetition. Hmm. Now, it's easy to rag on repetition as as a negative, but I mean, is it Psalm 136 where every other line is the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. That's right. So we don't want to be against repetition as such, but there is a kind of manipulative repetition that we want to avoid. And, you know, there are songs that I think also, it seems like they're trying to manufacture a response. And again, we don't, I don't want to do those. And then songs that the average person can't sing. So, those would be songs where the, the vocal range is vocal range is so large that most people can't follow or it's overly syncopated rhythmically where it's just, it's going to take many, many repetitions before we actually learn it. Hmm. So those would be things to avoid. What to look for then would be the inverse of those things. Lyrics that are clear and strong so that we know what we're singing about. I think, you know, if, if we, if we're singing songs, and the, the tether between the lyric we're singing and some statement in the Bible or theological truth, if that tether gets too long, I want to be um, careful. Mm-hmm. I want that tether to be short. In other words, you're wanting a lot of scriptural, not only imagery, but the very words of scripture to inform what it is that we're Absolutely. singing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so... And then I want songs that are theologically rich and, and lean less on an experiential language. And then songs that are singable. Uh, so you can find these kind of songs in psalm settings, in 
a lot of traditional hymns, and there is a lot of new stuff out there. There are some great songwriters writing really good songs right now that check all of these boxes. And then one more category that that I've I've been trying to 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 use as I think through songs is you know in Titus chapter two, uh, Paul tells Titus that the older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. So as I'm evaluating songs to sing at our church, I'm just imagining those men at my church, the dignified, sober-minded men, and asking, would those men want to sing this song? Hmm. Or would they find this embarrassing at all? Would they cringe when they sing one of these lyrics? Or would they find it unhelpful and unclear? And I think that's a that could be a helpful way to evaluate songs to sing. It's a helpful objective inspired rubric there from, from mm-hmm. Titus two. Mm-hmm. So this album has seven songs. You wrote five of them. Yes. Okay. And another one was written by my sister-in-law, Hannah Smothers. Mm-hmm. Shout out Hannah. Yes. Good job. It's a great song. And then Bethany Breland, she retuned an old song. Yes. So Charles Wesley's, Jesus, lover of my soul. It's one of those hymns that is very familiar, but there isn't a, a definitive tune that people sing with it. So Bethany retuned it, and I love how it turned out. I think it's beautiful. Hmm. So we already sampled it, uh, again, as the, the bumper music here, but I do want people to get a, a feel for this album. Hmm. I think it's excellent, every song. Uh, so we're going to play here uh, one of the songs, Christ Victorious. And here's a here's a short snippet. So that was Christ Victorious. Matt, you wrote that one. What is it you're trying to do in, in that song? Yes, well, every verse ends with this reference to him as the King of Kings, to Jesus as the King of Kings. And so it's really a celebration of that reality, that he is he has um, won victory over the enemy, over death and over sin and hell. And then there's a verse that describes our participation in that, in that um, we're weak, we are weary sinners, but in Christ we, um, we have a place, and he, we, we get to stand in his ranks, even though we don't deserve to. And then it's a, a call to march with him into eternal life, to follow him into death, where he has uh, proven victorious. So that, that's, it, it's a celebration of who Jesus is and what he's done for his people. Another one of the songs on this album is called Every Word, and here's a sample.
you also wrote this one, Every Word. What's the theme in this song? Yeah, that song is a really a meditation on the truth that every word of the Lord proves true. And so where this song actually uh, came out of was uh, Jim Hamilton was preaching through Genesis at our church. And it struck me how over and over again, Jim was highlighting the failure of different people in Genesis and how despite all of these failings and shortcomings, the promises always uh, proved true. Mm. They always came to fruition. And so I wanted to, to write a song that was a meditation on that. Um, and so it's really, yeah, it's born out of that, that glorious truth that whatever the Lord says is as good as done. Mm. And it's tr- it was true in the Old Testament. It was true in the life and ministry of Christ. And it's true in our own lives. Amen. Well, I love this album, Songs for the Sojourn. I hope it's far and wide reaching. I hope it affects the life of the church as I know it has ours. I love the team effort that went into this album. Not only you're playing instrumentally, you, you mentioned there's uh, Kenwood members on the album. There's uh, mm-hmm. other members that are writing songs mm-hmm. and singing on the album. You know, I think uh, often about the glory days, you know, of a Charles Wesley or a Isaac Watts, two of my favorites. Um, and sometimes you can, you can long for that, but this album is a reminder that we have the same spirit. We serve the same Lord and we have the same inspiration in his word. And we are commanded to continue that great tradition of singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs together. And I think that's exactly what this album encourages us to do. Well, I appreciate that. And I thank you for the chance to talk about it. And I do pray that it's a blessing and to all who hear it and a, a force for strengthening for all the churches that might use them. Amen. Don't delay. Go out, get the album, Songs for the Sojourn, send it to the top of the charts, and continue to sing praises to our Lord and King. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.